Hello, Jazz Session listeners. I am Jason Crane, host of the Jazz Session, announcing the 100 by 300 campaign. That's right, my goal is to get 100 members by the 300th show to keep the Jazz Session going, and you can join very easily. Just visit thejazzsession.com and click on either the join link at the top of the page or the one on the side of the page. There are monthly levels starting at 10 bucks a month. There are yearly levels starting at $110 a year. Please join the people who have already become members and help keep the Jazz Session going. The Jazz Session receives no external funding from any source uh, up to and including All About Jazz, and that means for me to keep doing it, I need you. Thousands and thousands of you listen to every show, and if you could find the, uh, the cost of maybe two cups of coffee uh, a month in your couch cushions, you can help keep the show going for years to come. That is the 100 by 300, 100 members by the 300th show. Join now at thejazzsession.com. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find links to help you purchase the music you hear on the show. And if you do it that way, a little bit of the purchase price comes back to the Jazz Session. And you will find the join section so that you can become a member of the jazz session and keep this show coming to you in support of the 100 by 300 campaign 10 percent of the way there already so uh, i'm hopeful that we're going to make it the whole way and uh, i encourage you to join and help keep this show going my guest today is pianist Dan Tepfer. He and his trio with uh, Thomas Morgan and Ted Poor have a new album called Five Petals Deep. And it begins with this tune of Dan's called All I Heard Was Nothing.
My guest is pianist and composer Dan Tepfer. He's got a brand new record on Sunnyside with his trio featuring uh, Thomas Morgan on bass and one of my favorite drummers, Ted Poor. The album is called Five Pedals Deep, and it features almost exclusively uh, Dan's compositions. And it's my pleasure to have Dan on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jason. Let's, uh, I guess let's start uh, with the obvious question and talk about uh, where you are right now and, and what you're in the middle of. I'm in Lyon in the south of France, and we're about to play a gig at a, an old funky club here called the Hot Club. And uh, we're in the middle with uh, Ted and Thomas of a um, European tour to promote this new record. Now, for folks who uh, who might just be becoming familiar with you through the, the course of this interview, um, it... it might stand to reason to make some of those European connections, and, and you have strong roots there. Can you talk about that? I was born in France. My, my folks are from Oregon, but I was born there, and I uh, grew up there, lived there until 18. Uh, and then I, well, I did my undergrad in Scotland and then came to the U.S. to uh, study at the New England Conservatory and settled down in New York. But, but yeah, a lot of my um, background is European, and... Uh, you know, sometimes I think it kind of comes out of my music that way too, kind of a mix of the of the two. Can you explore that a little bit more? What what things differentiate uh, the 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 stylistic approach uh, of a European player versus, I guess, what we would say an American player? I'm not even sure what that means. Well, you know, all generalizations are false, including this one. But um, I would say that on average, Americans are more concerned with kind of the craft of improvisation, the craft of jazz, than Europeans are. There's, there's, a, there's almost a um, kind of a religious fervor in getting things really correct and getting every note kind of um, really um, happening. And I think in Europe, just again, totally on average, um, which is a generalization, but in Europe there tends to be more of a desire to kind of conceptually explore ideas and um, maybe things, you know, new sounds and things like that. And there can sometimes be less of an emphasis on the kind of uh, perfection of the craft. And, and conversely, I think Americans sometimes get stuck in trying to do something really, really well that has already been done before. So I think it's really interesting to kind of try to combine those two things to, um, to try to make some music that's that's really fresh and maybe has some kind of a new concept with it, but also try to support it with some really solid craft.
And is there a way that you can um, con- kind of concretely give us an example? I know that's always difficult, but of a of a conceptual approach to to this record or to the way this trio interacts that kind of reflects what you're talking about. Well, I mean, in, in my music in general, I always try to kind of come up with with uh, combinations of things that are that are new. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on in this record that kind of takes from, you know, different periods in musical history. But I think the combination is, is something that's um, hopefully surprising, uh, at least that I, I haven't heard before. Um, there's a lot of elements of minimalism, but then that only serves as kind of a base, as kind of a um, background for to the other elements that are not minimalistic at all. Um, it's, a, it's a little hard to answer that precisely, but I would say that there's a that there is a there's a desire. There, there are two things happening on this record: there's a desire for uh, things to be frameworks to be very clearly established, um, so that there's really a, a firm ground that things are emerging from. But then there's also a desire for things to be whimsical and or kind of think to be able to go in unexpected places. I often find, it, and this is uh, purely a matter of my own perception, but I often find that piano trio records are some of the the hardest for me to really grasp, just as a as a listener, and I mean only me as a listener. Uh, and one thing I was really struck by about this record is what sounds to me like a, a really strong clarity of vision. I, I really felt like from the beginning to the end, I, I could hear you as a player and hear your idea about how at least this trio in this moment uh, ought to sound. And that I find that that made the record really, really enjoyable um, for me. Not that records that require tons of work aren't enjoyable. But in this case, I thought that right from the beginning, I had a real sense of, of who you were as a player. And I wonder if that's something you've um, you've worked toward to, to, to come up with uh, a conception that really sounds like Dan Tepfer and no one else. Well, I, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, I wouldn't say that I work specifically with that goal in mind. I, I work um, to just be able to say what I want to say, and hopefully it does come out that way. But I would say that you know one of my big heroes since I've been a little kid um, has been Thelonious Monk, and that's completely true of his music. And what I really dig about his music is that it has really rich layers of complexity and incredibly um, uh, textured quality. Like everything in there is very, very purposeful and, and very deliberate. Um, but at the same time, it's um, completely immediately accessible to the listener. I mean, I've, I've made that. I've um, experimented with this several times. I just take a friend or you know someone I've just met who doesn't know jazz, who maybe even thinks he or she doesn't know, doesn't like jazz, and played a monk record for them. And invariably, it's like this shit is killing, you know. And that's exactly what I want to be able to achieve. I, I, um, I want the music to speak really quickly, but at the same time, I want there to be maybe you know hopefully infinite layers of um, kind of depth that you could get into if you wanted to, which is kind of what the title is from of the record. 
One thing about the way this album hangs together is that it really feels like, rather than like a, a collection of tunes, which it very well may be, but it, it feels like it's designed as as an entire thing, as one as one whole package. I mean, even from the presence of things like interludes that, that tie some of the pieces together, it really feels like you're moving from one place to another as you go uh, through the record, rather than just kind of hearing... Uh, a collection of the things this particular musician is working on. Uh, is that is that a fair statement about your intentions for the record? And if not, feel free to, to correct it. <laughs> it is a fair statement, yeah. I, it's kind of funny in this day and age when people are just downloading single, single, <clears throat> singles and things like that to be attached to this, but one of my favorite records when I was, you know, I don't know, nine years old was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And I think that just... Um, has stuck with me ever since. Um, for me, when I put on a record, I want it to kind of be, you know, individual statements of songs, but also really to have an arc and to take me someplace, as you were just saying. So, um, you know, we went into the studio for a day and recorded these tunes, and then I came home and was kind of trying to see how they would fit together. And then I thought, this is some heavy, kind of heavy music. It could use some, some lightening up. And so I just sat down at the piano in my apartment and recorded um, 12 little interludes or seven little interludes uh, based on each kind of interval of the, of the diatonic scale and then picked, uh, I forget, you know, four of them, I think, or three of them to put in between songs on the record. So there's definitely that will to kind of shape the material in a way where the, um, the listening experience of the whole record means something. Will you talk about uh, Thomas Morgan and Ted Poor and uh, how the three of you came to be together on this album? Yeah, um, you know, it's funny. This tour that we're on right now, and tonight is going to be only our fourth gig of this tour, um, is the first time we've actually played together in public as a trio. This is a brand new uh, trio for me. I, for the last six years, I've been playing with Richie Barche and Jorge Roder. We're you know, two fantastic musicians and two great friends, too. And um, just kind of felt a need for a change, you know, just bringing in some, some you know, some, some new elements. And um, I just know Ted and, and Thomas from the scene in New York and love their playing. I think um, both of them have that rare quality of being both incredibly good at their instruments and incredibly good at music and also being real poets 
where um, it, there's there's always a sense of transcendence of it not just being music, you know, there's a sense of poetry. Um, so we just came, we, you know, we got into the studio for the record, uh, having just done like one rehearsal and recorded these songs. And as a result, I, you know, it was very, very fresh for, for each one of us. And now we're touring and it's just an incredible experience kind of seeing how it's evolving from night to night. Because the truth is we're, we're just in the process of discovering, uh, what this trio sounds like. I imagine uh, you're you're seeing an evolution in the compositions as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, you know, in a way, the composition itself is already done, but I'm seeing an evolution in the interpretation of the composition, certainly. Um, and, but also, you know, both Ted and Thomas are such fresh kind of guys. There's a real commitment to every um, every note being, you know very, very felt and very in the moment. So these pieces are sounding really different every night and they're sounding really different from how they are on the record. And, you know, that's fantastic. I've been to a lot of uh, jazz shows in in Japan where I used to live, but I've never been to Europe and I've never seen any jazz there. Uh, can you talk a little bit, uh, either demographically or, or in terms of of attitude, what the uh, what the the crowds have been like uh, so far for the tour? 
You know, it's really interesting because we, we've been all over. Um, well, I, I should say I've been all over in my touring career. I mean, on this tour so far, we've just been in London where we played at Pizza Express. Then we were in Krakow where we played at the, the Jazz Juniors Festival. And we just played uh, in Paris yesterday and then we were playing in Lyon. And I would say... Um, I would say that you know every country is different here. In the same way that in the U.S. every state is different. I mean, the the playing experience is really different in New York from you know Oklahoma. And um, the <laughs> let me just sum it up. Basically, I love playing in New York. Most of Europe is just a great place to play. There's an expectation on the part of the audience of the music actually possibly taking you somewhere else, being a kind of a a real journey, you know, which is not necessarily necessarily the case with American audiences, for example. Uh, you know, in New York, I think that is the case, but outside of New York, sometimes there's an expectation that the music is kind of a commodity, something that you just kind of experience and then you leave. And um, I just really appreciate the, the level of listening in a lot of Europe. Uh, it sounds, and I don't mean this question any other way than the words that actually are about to come out of my mouth, but it sounds like there are many arguments in favor of being based in Europe for you, given that you have you know ties in various places on the continent and experience there and are well received. What is it about New York or the the things that you feel you need from New York that causes you to stay there as a home base? Well, New York is an incredibly special place. It's just you know for 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 some reason. Um, it's where people who are really passionate about jazz tend to go. It's, uh, I mean, I don't want to generalize because they're great musicians everywhere, but really I would say the best musicians in the world at some time or another have lived in New York. Um, and it's an incredible environment to be in. I, I feel really uh, creatively stimulated there kind of constantly. Um, and I don't think you could really rep- replicate that anywhere else. You've had a, uh, a sustained relationship um, with one of the great musicians uh, of the age, Lee Konitz. Can you talk about uh, how the two of you met and uh, what that relationship has been like for you? We were introduced by a great French jazz pianist, Marshal Solal, who's played with, uh, with Lee a lot over the years, going back to like the, the mid-1950s. Um, and it's been an incredible relationship for me. We've been playing now pretty regularly for the last four years. Both, you know, quartet, uh, trio, duo, and um, even bigger formations we've done. Um, and a lot of duo, uh, especially since this record came out last year on Sunnyside, um, duos with Lee. And all I can say about Lee is that he is, of all the people I've played with, the um, person was able to find the music in the fastest way possible. It's like, as, as soon as he plays a note, that's the music. That is the, the, the real sense of the word music. The muse, this kind of mysterious, you know, path that is in the air and that some people can find. He finds that immediately. And it's it's uh, it's really an incredible thing to witness, especially when you're on stage with him, because as soon as he starts playing that way, it's like, okay, I gotta 
I got to find that too, and I got to get on that on that wagon. And it's really humbling in a way, and it's also just been an incredible growing experience. One of the things that Lee is is well known for is being able to uh, to kind of mine the the Great American Songbook for uh, not necessarily for tunes people haven't heard before, but for depths of well-known tunes that people may not have heard before. Um, has that been an experience that you've had when uh, when playing with him, and has it informed your own playing? Absolutely. I mean, you know, virtually there, there isn't a night that goes by without us playing all the things you are and body and soul and Cherokee. I mean, he he's played the same tunes his whole life. And, you know, often interviewers have asked him about that, um, and he always gives kind of funny answers to the question, but I think the truth is that for Lee, the actual written material is really far down the map in terms of importance. Um, the, the importance is what you do with it, and it, it really is amazing that he's able to make these tunes sound fresh night after night. I mean, I've never seen him. I've never been playing with him and thought, oh, you know, shoot, we got to play all the things you are again. It's never like that. And first of all, we never even make sevens. We just start playing. You know, I'll start doing an intro, and pretty soon it'll turn into Alone Together or one of the other things that he wants to play. Um, then he'll start playing, he'll turn into Stella by Starlight. Um, but it's always really fresh. I mean, uh, actually, the, the, the duo tour we just did, we just did a duo tour last month uh, in November, and the French TV crew followed us for four of the days of the tour. And I told them before we started, you know, be prepared because it's going to be really different every night and you're not really going to be able to cut from one to the next. And at the end of the tour, the guy was like, when he said that, I didn't really, uh, I didn't really believe it, but it's just amazing. We've just witnessed four drastically different concerts. And, um, and you know, we were playing the same tunes every night. It's really pretty amazing. Yeah, it, it's it seems like uh, you know at the at the risk of getting too philosophical about it that it would be possible just to play the same thing every night, but you know the same one song every night and still find new depths if you were able to be kind of honest enough about the exploration of the music. Well, that's right because I mean ultimately I don't even know if it's about finding new depth in that song. It's just about finding new depth in music, and we just happen to be using the framework of a certain standard to play that music but then again with Lee we also play a lot of free just totally free playing so and when we're playing standards in a way it's free too even though we're we're kind of uh, you know playing around this established framework
another project of yours that I wanted to ask about was the Goldberg Variations Variations Project. Can you talk about what that is? Yeah, that's a, that's a fun project that um, I hope to have recorded by the end of the year. Um, Sunnyside wants to put it out. And I've been playing it for the uh, last uh, year and a half or so. So basically, I've been working on the Goldberg Variations you know, as a kind of classical pianist. For, for years, and uh, a couple years ago I was in Czech Republic about to give a solo concert, um, and I was going to give a, a concert for improvisation, which I was doing a lot of back then, and as I was about to walk on stage, I, I just felt like kind of um, creatively exhausted by the need to actually just make up completely new music for that evening, which had been, it was the end of a tour where I've been doing that like every night. And it's really a lot to ask to go on stage completely fresh every night that way without any idea what you're going to play. And so I was like, ah, what the hell? I'm going to you know, play the Goldberg Variations and I'll just improvise around that. And so I played the aria and then I kind of just improvised on the aria and then I played Variation 1 and then I improvised on the variation. And every time I was playing the variations, I was playing them completely straight. And so... It was super fun. It was surprisingly fun because there's also this mix of it being really difficult to play the actual variations. They're a real challenge. And then the complete freedom of the improvisation in between. It's a complete mind trip for me. And um, I'm really looking forward to having that on uh, on record and moving, moving forward with it. This show, uh, for no reason that I can understand, has a, a pretty decent following uh, across Europe and actually across the world, and no one's more surprised about that than I am. But since that is the case, can you talk about the upcoming uh, shows that are left on this tour? Well, um, first of all, I know why you have a good listenership. It's because the show rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. That's very nice. And uh, we have, let's see, we're playing in Poland the next uh, three days, well, between the, the 7th and the 10th. And then we're playing in Austria on the 11th, and then we're touring in the Republic of Georgia. Uh, this is kind of a State Department tour uh, between the 12th and the 16th. I'm really excited to go back there because uh, last time I went was two years ago before the, the war they had with, with uh, Abkhazia. So... Um, I'm psyched about that. And then, you know, people were back in New York uh, in January. There's some, some cool stuff I'm playing on the, on the 7th uh, in the Winter Jazz Fest, this incredible jazz festival of kind of young and forward-looking music in New York. And then on the 9th, I'm playing a duo with Julian Lodge, who's you've probably heard of him. He's a really fantastic young uh, guitarist. And... Um, 
you know, on and on like that. All my dates are on my website. I'm playing duo with Paul Motion in February. I'm very excited about that. I'm um, doing a double bill with Ahmad Jamal with, uh, with, as part of the Econix's band in, in February at Lincoln Center. And there's some really exciting stuff coming up. Wow, that's fantastic. Are there uh, other things you're working on or that you'd like to mention uh, that I haven't asked you about? Well, uh, I mean, one thing, kind of one of my uh, more proud accomplishments um, was earlier this year, I actually wrote a uh, piano concerto. And I, you know, I a lot of work, I mean, I'm sure people can imagine, and no one was more surprised than I was that I was able to actually stick it out and, and do it. But I uh, performed it in Prague, in Prague Castle, um, earlier, uh, earlier this year, May 4th. And some people were curious to kind of check out what that is. Uh, it's on YouTube. You can look up, you know, Pepfer Concerto, and it'll come up. And I think it's kind of a cool piece. Yeah, in fact, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was one of the things I had I had made a note to ask you about. Now, this is a commission from the Prague Castle Guard Orchestra, which I'm sure That's all right. of the other listeners are incredibly familiar with, but I- I'm not familiar with it at all. And okay. I'm curious about how one gets a commission from the Prague Castle Guard Orchestra. Well, you know, it's kind of a funny story. I, uh, I've been invited by a festival in Czech Republic to play for the last, uh, Jesus, three years. And... Um, what they'll do is, is uh, organize concerts for me all around the country, but mostly I play solo and occasionally trio. But every year they've also had me play with this orchestra, the Prague Castle Guard Orchestra, and um, all they want me to do is play Rhapsody in Blue. And, you know, I, as a kid I learned Rhapsody in Blue, and it's kind of the very fun piece. So the first year I was like, okay, great, you know, it'd be great to play that with orchestra. It'd be kind of a thrill. And the second year I was like, okay, you know, it's, I'm sure Gershwin, I'm sure it wasn't his favorite piece in the world, but because it's, you know, it's, just, it's kind of a show piece, uh, but I'll do it. And then the third year they asked me to do it, and I was like, listen, why don't we do something different? You know, I've been wanting to write something for orchestra for years, and uh, you guys sound great. So, you know, how about, how about this? And to my surprise, even though I had no experience writing for orchestra, uh, they actually totally jumped on it. And, uh, now the rest is the rest is history. Are there improvisatory elements in the concerto? Yeah, a lot of the piano part is improvised. There's no improvisation in the orchestra because um, I just when I write for people to improvise, I, I need to know them really well and to make sure they're you know really good at improvising, um, which I'm sure some of the people in the orchestra probably are, but I just know them well enough to be able to know that with certainty. But there's a lot of improvising in the piano part. There's also a lot of written out sections, and then there are condenses and long condenses that are just completely free improvisation in the moment. Oh, that sounds really exciting. And again, uh, folks can check that out on YouTube by searching for Tepfer Concerto. My guest is Dan Tepfer. He has a brand new record, which I highly recommend on Sunnyside, called Five Pedals Deep. Uh, Dan on the piano, Thomas Morgan on bass, and Ted Poor on the drums. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you came on the show, and uh, and especially <laughs> given that we were supposed to do this several days ago, and uh, I made a mistake with the dates and, and missed you completely. So I'm, I'm even happier that you uh, were kind enough to, to reschedule. So thanks very much, and I, I wish you the best on the tour. And uh, I, I hope to be at the uh, Winter Jazz Fest, so uh, if I am, I'm definitely going to come check you out there. 
Awesome. It's at 2 a.m., so, you know. <laughs> That's all right. I'm old, but I can Drink still stay coffee. out till 2 a.m. So. <laughs> That's music from the Dan Tepfer Trio and the new album Five Petals Deep on Sunnyside Records. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of this show is available for free in iTunes and at TheJazzSession.com, where you'll also find a mailing list and you'll find links to purchase the music you hear on the show. And, of course, you'll find the membership section. You can uh, go to thejazzsession.com slash join and become a member for as little as 10 bucks a month or $110 a year, and then there are levels above that. And uh, thank you on the show, thank you on the website, all kinds of different things, and there's other little thank you gifts that you can get as well. My thanks to the Respect Sextet. They recorded the theme music for this program. They are at respectsextet.com. And if you go there, you'll find all of their records, including their new one, Farcical Built for Six. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the show's logo. Most importantly, thank you for listening. Get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.